Hi, this is Alyssa McNamara-Reed, and I will be your host for the next two hours. Allow me to introduce myself. I am a certified financial planner practitioner and an investment advisor. I am co-owner of McNamara Financial Services, Inc. in Marshfield, Massachusetts. McNamara Financial is a federally registered investment advisor, and by my definition anyway, is a true family business. We work with clients like you every day, regular people that need help making sound financial decisions or people that want one less thing to worry about. I work with clients for a fee based on assets that I manage or an hourly or flat fee for creating financial plans. I am not compensated via commissions unless I have the pleasure of helping someone with their insurance needs. There are some things worth paying for and perhaps a lifetime of financial security is one of them. I of course cannot guarantee that working with me will ensure a secure financial future. McNamara on Money has been a call-in talk radio show since 1990. I love hearing from listeners and there truly are no dumb questions. In fact, I like the simple questions because everyone should have the answer to those. Just don't call me asking for the next hot investment or which market is going to outperform this year. Number one, that's not the nature of this show. And number two, I have no idea. Any advice I give to a caller is meant to be generic in nature and should be verified with his or her own financial professionals. You will hear about a variety of topics on this show that relate to investments and personal finance. We try to cover topics that people can relate to regardless of their net worth or financial situation. And of course, we try to keep it interesting. I would crunch numbers for two hours or spreadsheet cash flows because I'm a total math nerd, but that wouldn't much make for good radio. Instead, I choose to educate people on topics surrounding big financial events in life, like marriage and divorce, kids in college, death of a loved one, career changes, and of course, retirement. I once heard that it is a smart man that knows what he doesn't know. I'm sure it was my dad that said that, and I'm also sure that it applies to women. That is why I invite guests onto my show that have expertise in different areas also related to personal finance. I feel it's important to note that the opinions of these professionals are not necessarily the opinions of McNamara Financial or any of its advisors. As long as we are on the subject of disclosure, I should note that while we may discuss investments and or markets on this show, that past performance is not indicative of future results. Thanks for tuning in. And welcome back to McNamara on Money. My name is Justin McNamara, virtually alongside uh, Michael McNamara. And we are talking big picture taxes today. I'm going to throw it right back over to you since you're, I have a hard time uh, not controlling the material, but being the host. So I'll throw it over. But uh, first, let me let me give out the call in number. Uh, we are live in the Merrimack Valley today. Our telephone number is 978-454-4980. So if you're listening on WCAP today and you have a question about taxes, tax rates or anything, uh, give us a ring 978-454-4980. Or uh, if you want to shoot us an email, we're checking that as well. Questions at McNamaraOnMoney.com. All right, back over to you. All righty. So um, we got through with choosing the right kind of retirement plan. Now we're going to talk about money that you might have that's not in a retirement plan. Okay. All right. And, and I'm going to spend some time on this, but not a lot because I want to get to the fun stuff about annuities and tax managed portfolios a little bit later on. But I don't know. I don't Are you going to bad mouth annuities? Oh, oh me? Oh, come yeah. on, Justin, come on now. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm looking put- it up. Alyssa, Alyssa did a show a few weeks, no, maybe a few months ago. It was yeah. it had it had annuities and evil in the title. I, I really would like to. <laughs> <laughs> like, I wish I could remember the exact title. But I, uh, I taught that girl well. That, uh, that Apple didn't fall far fall from the tree. <laughs> they, they, they have their place, but there aren't many places and not many people who should own them. But that's another story. Okay, moving along. All right. So in the official investment world, any money that's not in an official kind of a retirement plan is called non-qualified money, folks, just in case you, you know, we want to get, that's as technical as I'm getting. Okay. But, but basically, I want to talk about money that you might have to invest that's not in your retirement plan. And, and I, I have a couple of uh, prerequisites before you do that. Okay. So, okay. Before, okay. This is again for, this is a generic piece of advice for many, but not all people listening to this. How would that just, I do, did I do good Perfect. on that or what? Yeah. Perfect. Okay. All right. So, so before you begin investing money outside of a retirement plan that you participate in, I would uh, firmly recommend that most of you fill up the retirement plan with as much as you can put in every year. Okay. And until you hit the limit where they won't put let you put any more money in there, I don't think you should start investing in some other place with a couple of exceptions. 
You okay with that? That got any antenna going up there, my son? You okay with that? I'll wait. I'll, yeah, I'll wait for the rest all of the right, stuff. All right, all right, all right. So first of all, nobody, nobody should make any kind of investments outside of a retirement plan until they have a solid emergency reserves account sitting in a bank someplace with a bunch of money that'll protect them against bad things happening for three, five, six, eight months or a year. Emergency reserves, rainy day fund, whatever. Folks, if, if you're if you're filled up your retirement plan, okay, or if you have some money, okay, that's, that's just above and beyond that, I, before you invest it, I hope you have a sufficient emergency reserves account, okay, before. You, you begin investing. We, we say to folks, you ought to have three to six months worth of you know, what you need of ex- living expenses in a bank someplace. With this COVID thing, a lot of people are thinking, maybe I should have done that for a year, to be perfectly honest with you. But you need a rainy day fund. It's not investment. It's bank money. And everybody out there needs one of those suckers before they start investing money on their own outside of a retirement plan. I'm okay with that. Okay, good. Just good to know. Okay, so assuming you've maxed out your retirement plan, assuming you have mucho and abundance of emergency reserves where you sleep well that you know you're protected, okay, then if you're still accumulating money, you can invest it, okay, and probably for many folks listening to us, if you fit into that description, maybe you ought to start thinking about funding college educations if you have them in your future with that money. So I would respectfully submit that for a lot of people listening to us with younger children growing into college, if you do have money to invest outside of a retirement plan, probably a 529 college savings plan would be the first place to start for many. By the way, before we even let Justin embellish on that comment, uh, you know, I said fill up the retirement plan before you start saving for college. There may be a bunch of folks who disagree with that, uh, but but uh, you need to take care of yourself and your retirement and knowing that you're going to be okay, okay, before you start taking care of your kids and dis. And, and college costs because uh, you don't want to be in a position where a, a number of folks have huge college loans and didn't know that uh, not putting that, that trading money from a retirement plan and putting it into a 529 might affect your future. So you have to be very careful about that. Okay, Justin, go for it. You, you want me to speak to that specifically? <laughs> I think people should fill up their retirement plan. Yeah, you uh, start yeah, saving for, all, for college. Of course, I'm always, I'm always more. Yeah, I, I, I'm I understand with you and my recommendations. Yeah, I mean, I mean, so or or at least do it with eyes wide open, right? I mean, yeah. you, you, we, we, we're sensitized to this because we occasionally will run into someone who is in a who is in a difficult situation for retirement. And the reason is because either they have a bunch of loans that they spent on college or, or they just didn't save anything because they were too busy spending for college. Right. So, you know, we're, we're sensitive to that. Um, and I think it's just, you know, it, it's your money and you can do with it whatever you want. We tell folks that all the time in our meetings, but you need to think real hard about it. Right. It's, it's, a, it's different. You're, you, you perceive the word world differently when you are say 65 than when you're 45, right? If you're 45, you, you might say, Hey, you know what? I'll never retire. I don't care. I'll, I want my kids to go to the best schools because that's, you know, in my opinion, that's a great way to get them started. Yeah, That's going to change. No and question I'll, about I'll, that. I'll, I'll sacrifice for that. But <laughs> you know, it's, it's, that's a, that's a harder conversation when you're 65, just because it's, you know, for a lot of folks, they, they, you know, they, they, they don't want to work. You know, there's the, the drive to work. It's just less easy, right? I mean, hey, I'm 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 41, and I feel I feel like things are, are harder for me than they were, you know, when I was 30 when I was 36, right? So that that just continues, and for most folks, they're they're less excited about working forever when they're 65 than they maybe when they're 40. So well uh, said. Just well, go in with eyes wide open, and hey, yeah. if, if you want to do it, you just need to you know, do, do it with purpose and say, Hey, this is what I'm going to do. And I don't care. I'll work forever. And then if that happens and you have to work forever, well, you yeah. That's the way if, it works. if you want to do that and do it with purpose, do it with a financial plan so that you right. know what it looks like. You know, but, but this is this is a very important uh, comment I'm about to make, folks. Uh, write this down. OK, if you have retirement ahead of you and if you have college ahead of you, please 
get yourself a financial plan in place so that you can figure out what you might be able to afford for college and or what that trade-off is. I don't care about my retirement. I'm going to do this for my kids. Well, when you do the math and if you know the details and then you understand the trade-off and you then you then you can make an informed decision because you have good information. If you're just winging it and don't do any math along the way, shame on you and you'll pay for it later. Yeah. Short, short and simple. So if you if you want to not take my advice, go grab yourself a financial plan so you can actually figure out what your retirement's going to look like if you have one you know, versus spending unlimited amounts of money and not thinking about what you're going to give your kids for college education budget costs sort of a thing. So right. that's it. Yeah, I mean, and, and you know, you could do that sort of simply, right? You could just say, "All right, well, hey, what's your uh, what's your Social Security benefit at age seventy? Yep. And uh, you know, take a look at that, and then ask yourself, "Hey, is that enough to live on?" And if you're a no. husband, and, and if you're a husband <laughs> and a wife, right, it's potentially just the higher of the two benefits at age seventy, because if one of you if one of you passes, then you're down to one Social Security benefit, and and you know that, that I think that'll sensitize a lot of people to you know, even though the waiting until age seventy does you know, give you a good bump on your social security for most folks, it's probably not enough to, I mean, I, I won't say it's not enough to live on, but it's, it's for a lot of folks, it's not enough to continue the lifestyle that they are accustomed to living. And, you know, so there's your, there's your sacrifice if you need to make it. Sensitize equals scare the hell out of you. You do that folks. <laughs> Bottom line. Okay. Uh, anyway, so it just, anyway, so why don't you quickly describe a college five five twenty nine play. That, that's your neck. That's your first place for most folks. So give give it a quick rehab, just yeah. So a five twenty nine plan is uh, it's an investment account designed specifically to fund college. Fairly simple. Uh, you put money in. There's no real tax deduction except uh, at the state level potentially, right? So some states will have tax deductions. Uh, most of them are fairly are fairly modest, but. Um, uh, so you put money in. It grows tax deferred, and it comes out tax-free if it's used for qualified education expenses. So um, if, you're, if your kids are going to go to college or if you, have, if you have multiple kids and you're sure that at least some of them, you know, one or, one or more will go to college, it's a, great, it's a great savings tool because, again, it's tax-free. Yep. Uh, and there are penalties if you use the money for other things. But the bottom line is, yep. if, if you're pretty sure that most of your kids are going to college, you can change beneficiaries later if one doesn't decide to go. But it's it's a good, it's probably the first place people with kids, okay, not in college, should go to invest money outside of a retirement plan. Okay. Yep. All right. So moving along. So let's assume either you don't have kids and or college is over and or you got um, college covered, and you still have money to, to, to invest, well, uh, th then we're back to that. Well, let's see. I'm going to open up an individual account in my name and go invest money, or I'm going to do a joint account with my my spouse, and we're going to invest some money. Or we created a trust, and we're going to put some money in the trust, and we're going to invest money there. Well, all of those things are taxable accounts, okay? And now you kind of have to start paying attention to what the taxes are and how they're going to work. And again, just I, 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 I don't want to go beyond the bottom of the hour on this uh, and maybe even faster because there aren't a lot of folks listening to us who probably are in a position to have money above and beyond retirement plans filled up, above and beyond emergency reserves, and still have other money. There are certainly a bunch, but but not not you know not the majority of folks listening to us. I'm going to guess. So yeah, I, I want to I mean, you know, yeah just you know for point of reference again, a, yeah. a couple over fifty with two four hundred one ks has the ability to save north of fifty grand a year yeah. in yeah. Uh, in retirement plans. So that which is that's a, that's a good number, and if it's you know if it's a couple of spouses under 50, you know, you're, you're up close to 40,000, but I mean, there, you know, there are, there are folks who maybe are in, if you're, if you just have two IRAs and you don't, in either of your places of employment has a, uh, has a 401k, then you may, you know, you're maybe at just 12 grand. And, you know, maybe if you're a good saver, you, you do want to do it. So I, I think it's more common than you're, you're giving. I, I hope so. Yeah. I, I hope so. Sort of a thing. I mean, who, who knows, but the short story is I, I call it money in the middle. Okay. Uh, if you happen to 
retire and you happen to have a bunch of money and a couple of 401ks uh, and you got your emergency reserves all set and you got a hundred or 200 or whatever the amount of money is in taxable investments. Well, then you got a couple of different choices about where you get income in retirement. And, and that, that just opens up more options. If you had that money, if you don't, that's okay. But if you do, it does create some possibilities for tax planning and living and a few other things, given the circumstances. Anyway, okay, stocks and bonds. Okay, you either buy bonds individually or in the form of a fund, and or you buy stocks individually or in the form of a fund. We highly recommend that you do it in the form of funds, but we'll kind of dis- explain how they work at the individual securities level so you understand. So if you're buying bonds, you know, you're lending money to folks when you buy the bonds. Well, if they're corporate bonds, the interest is taxable at both the federal government and the state government tax taxes brackets. Okay, mm-hmm. if you're buying government bonds, they they can be taxed by the U.S. government, but they're tax free from a state's point of view. Okay, yep. and, and there are these wonderful things called tax free bonds, where the interest that they generate is absolutely tax-free. If you buy a Massachusetts state uh, tax-free municipal bond and you live in Massachusetts, okay, you don't pay federal taxes and you don't pay state taxes on that. By the way, if you're a Massachusetts resident and you buy a Minnesota tax-free bond, okay, uh, you'll you don't have to pay federal taxes on that, but you might have to pay Massachusetts tax on that because it's an out-of-state bond. So so there you go. Corporate bonds taxable to both the federal government and the state government. U.S. government bonds taxable only by the U.S. government. Okay, states don't tax those. Tax-free bonds in the state that you live, tax-free both federal and both state. Okay, and then tax-free bonds in other states, you pay the state tax on them. That's kind of how they work. Okay, the only other tax consequence that you might have on a any of the bonds is that on occasions, bonds can either increase in value or decrease in value. Okay, not as much or as scary as stocks, but, but that does happen regularly one way or another. And if your bond increases in value and you sell it, you might have a capital gain. And if your bond decreases in value, you might have a capital loss. Okay. Uh, and by the way, Justin, I didn't mention how you can use losses. You want to take a minute and explain that? Uh, sure. Yeah. So um, are we going to get to, I didn't know if we were getting to that in our outline. So, uh, well, actually, you know, right. We are getting to capital gains. Yeah. Well, never mind. Okay. Forget. Yeah, yeah. Good point. Okay. All right. So anyway, so that's how bonds work folks. Okay. And I, I did a little quick math. Okay. Uh, this used to be meaningful, but it's not, not much meaningful anymore. Okay. So, well, geez, do I buy a tax? Do I buy a government bond? Or do I buy a tax free bond? Well, it depends on what your tax bracket is. And it depends on what those bonds are paying for interest these days. So I, I, I did a little quick, quick math, Justin. Okay. Uh, did you do a taxable equivalent yield? I did. Shh, don't get, don't get fancy on me. I'm going to keep this simple now. Okay. Yep, yes. Indeed. Yep. Okay. So, so by the way, okay. I'll just keep this simple. So right now, this is a week or so ago, folks, and they change all the time, but we're just doing an example here. A triple A rated 30 year tax free bond, the average is 1.45% for an interest rate tax free. Okay. Okay. By the way, a 30 year treasury bond, and this was uh, a week ago, so it's even changed since then, was 2.08%. Well, wait a minute. If I'm earning 208 on the government or 1.45 tax-free, which is better? How do I figure that out? Okay. And and the, the short story is, if you're in the 37% bracket, that's a real bracket. Okay. That 1.45%. Use the real bracket for once. There you I, go. I did. I did. <laughs> okay. That 1.45%, you'd have to get 2.3 on a government bond to be in the same place. Yep. Okay. Okay. If you're in the 24% bracket, you'd have to get 1.9% 
on a government bond to be in the same place. So folks, you can do the math, okay? If you know your tax bracket and if you know the rate, of course they change, but if you know the tax bracket and you know the rate, you can do the math and figure out whether you should buy that government bond that paid this much or buy that taxable bond, okay, that pays that much. The taxable bonds pay less, but after you factor in the tax savings, they might pay more. Okay, uh, I, I guess I guess my point is, okay, that rates are so low, it's not very exciting doing this, this math math anymore. Uh, and by the way, they're changing. Yeah, they've gone up in the last couple of weeks in terms of the show, but I don't think they're going up much more. But the, but the but the bottom line is, uh, you know, it may make some sense for you to buy a tax-free bond versus a taxable bond. Okay, and and we would say a tax-free bond fund versus a taxable bond fund because most people I don't think should own those individual securities. It's a lot of work. Interest rates are low. And I, I don't know how much money we're talking about from an investment point of view. So, yeah, it's it's a mathematical exercise, but probably something that most people don't need to worry about is, I guess, where I'm going with that. Well, you know, I think this one is is uh, this is a a case where generalizing, I think, it works fairly well, right? Yeah. If you if you take a look at the yield at any given time, right? I mean, we could take a, you know, if, if, if someone walks in with $500,000 and wants to invest it tomorrow and, uh, you know, we can take a look at, okay, what's your, what's your tax rate and what are the yields on taxable bonds versus municipal bonds right now, right? We, we can make that decision and say, all right, well, hey, at this point in time, this is what's better. However, you know, the, the rates on government bonds and municipal bonds aren't, you know, they're not just governed purely by what people's tax rates are, right? They're, you know, they're moving, they have market factors that, uh, that come into play. I think, you know, we, we do tend to generalize, and I think it's useful here, and I think normally folks in the higher tax brackets, right, so if you're up in the 30s, um, then you're probably better off buying a tax exempt bond, even if even if right, you know, even if now it might not work. Um, but I think on average, it's pretty safe to say that if you're in the upper brackets, you want to do a tax free bond. Whereas if you're in the lower brackets, the 10 or the 12, you probably want to buy a taxable bond. Yeah. Uh, by the way, add fund to each of those bonds. Well, yes. Fund, but do we, we don't recommend individual tax free securities or taxable. Way too much work, way too much calculations. And you need a whole bunch of money to get the diversification. Yeah. Folks, the, the Unless you're funds- buying a government, you know, if, if it's a government bond, right? But yeah, so, you know, we, we are usually, in our case, we're running, you know, it's either a bond fund or, or an exchange traded fund. And it's easy enough to get those rates. But again, right now is different. And you don't, what you don't want to be doing is recalculating every year and then jumping and saying, oh, hey, yields have changed. Now I, now I want to be taxable versus tax free. And then you have to go and you have to sell the bond and, and you know, reallocate all your capital. Capital, that's, that's going to give you a tax consequence. Yeah. And, and there are way too many of your yeah. Well, what, what risk, what, how safe is the bond or how, when it matures factors into that equation? By the way, all tax-free bonds and most corporate bonds are callable. You know, when the interest rates were high and they issued the bond after they dropped, uh, you could have a 9% corporate bond and uh, two years, five years ago when rates dropped to five, the company said, oops, we're taking that bond back. Here's your money. Have a nice day. Sort of a thing. So there's way too many variables buying individual stocks and bonds for the vast majority of folks out there listening to us and in the country. Do it in the form of funds with some professional management and diversification. Lot safer. Okay. Yeah, and just you know the, the calculation that, that we do, right? I mean, you know, you can take right the the iShares national a, a, a big a big bond ETF or fund that's sort of representative of the market, and that you know that's how we would we would suggest that you run it, right? You know, the the iShares national muni bond ETF is yielding you know for this year it's two point eight percent, whereas uh, you know the iShares aggregate bond index this year is uh, yielding two point three percent. Right. And so uh, 2.13%. So in that's probably how you should do the math. But again, you need to sort of pay attention to what the relationship has been in the past, because right now, individual, you know, just like short term market volatility, um, there's also short term interest rate volatility in this case. And it's, it's not necessarily representative of what the 
you know, what the experience will be in the future. Yeah. By the way, uh, bonds go up or down in value. And I, a, a week or two ago, it might be worse, but I think a 30 year government bond is down about 14% year to date, plus or minus to, depending, you know, so, but bottom line is folks, bonds could go up or down too, which is why you should have a bunch of different ones. Okay. Very quickly. And I only got about a minute here. Okay. So if you're owning individual stocks, don't own stock funds, but when it comes to owning stocks, let's see, what are the tax consequences? The stocks that pay dividends, well, that's usually a 15% tax rate for what they call qualified dividends. Uh, and the only rule is that it has to be a real live company in the US and you have to hold the company for at least 60 days before you just pay 15%. And by the way, stocks go up or down in value. And if you sold them for a profit or a loss, you know that, that, that happens too, just like in the bonds. And, and again, you can use losses to offset gains in a portfolio, but that's a, that's a whole other story given the circumstances. All right, Jess, we got about 15 or 20 seconds. So any comments before we go to a break here? Not really. No, I think we did. A, I think we did a pretty good sum up there. Yeah. Um, yeah. We can, I, yeah. I mean, you can use $3,000 a year in losses against ordinary income. I'll throw that one in there Yeah. Um, for, you know, the tax loss discussion is maybe not something we'll do this time around, but yeah. um, if you do have tax losses, they can be beneficial, but that doesn't mean that they're good. You know, just like yeah. a tax deduction. <laughs> yeah. A after the break, I'll do my lemons from lemonade and only take about a minute and a half to do that, Josh. Okay, folks, right. we're, we're going to take a break. We'll be right back. Welcome back to McNamara on Money. My name is Justin McNamara alongside Michael McNamara, virtually as usual. I'm not sure how much longer we're going to need virtual uh, meetings here, right? I mean, I guess, you know, we're, well, am I, I'm, I, I've been accused of being too optimistic about COVID for a while now, maybe. <laughs> Cindy, we miss, much, giving, we miss I, giving you hugs after the show, Cindy. We can't do it like this, you know? It's much easier to do it in person for Cindy. I know we, we make a lot of work for Cindy here, but hey, we're, uh, we're trying to be safe and do our part as we hopefully, you know, get through the last piece of this pandemic thing. But anyway, so we're, we're, the show must go on. Uh, so we're going we're gonna to plow ahead here. If you have any questions uh, about taxes uh, or anything else, please don't hesitate uh, to give us a call. We're live in the Merrimack Valley today on WCAP 978 454 Four nine eight zero or questions at McNamaraOnMoney.com if you're listening uh, on WATD. We do check those emails and we respond uh, to all of them. So, uh, all right, I'm going to throw it back over to you since you're handling the material today. All right. So either Cindy's going to have to cancel the show after this, or I'm going to have to talk fast for the next 30 seconds. So it's probably B, right? What do you think, Jess? <laughs> okay. Uh, anyway, so, all right. I, I need to touch on the tax consequences of annuities. And then I want to kind of end up with a, on a taxable asset allocation portfolio. And I've only got 27 minutes to do that, Justin. This could be trouble. We'll give it a rip, okay? All right. So, uh, so folks, uh, annuities are tax-deferred investments, okay? They come in two flavors, variable because they have investments inside them and you don't know what they're going to earn, okay, and fixed where they kind of give you a guaranteed rate for a guaranteed period of time, kind of looks like a, a CD from an insurance company, although the banks would take exception to that description. So anyway, so variable annuities have mutual fund-like things inside of them. They're real live investments, okay? Okay, um, mo money that goes into an annuity, okay? Uh, well, you can fund an annuity inside of a retirement plan. You can buy an annuity inside of an IRA or, or even a 401k these days. I would not do that. For, for some reasons we'll get to. So the bottom line is most money, well, let's put it this way, money that you should put in an annuity is after-tax money. And the cool thing about both the variable and the fixed okay, annuities is that okay, the after-tax money grows tax-deferred until you take it out and then the bad thing is it's all taxed at income levels, not lower capital gains and dividends and interest levels, okay? But anyway, so they're, they're basically tax-deferred boxes, okay, where you can put money in there and then just pay taxes later on what it is that you earn, okay? Yep. Um, so, 
I, I'm going to go down this list kind of checkbox and then maybe cycle back and we can talk about things that we think are most important. So for, first of all, uh, anything that you gain in an annuity, okay, it's taxed uh, on the way out. So if you put $50,000 into an annuity and it grows to 75,000 and you call up the annuity company and say, send me $25,000, you're going to pay taxes on that whole $25,000. Okay. Uh, and you get, they return your capital when it gets below 50, no taxes on your investment capital. So everything that you earn is taxed first. And until you get down to what you put in, then they just return your capital, no taxes whatsoever. Okay, uh, let's see. The annuities uh, work best for high income folks in high tax brackets. Remember, the higher your bracket, the more the advantages, okay, to the tax deferral. Okay, uh, and annuities work best for people who don't need the money for a long time because the way the rules work, you have to be at least 59 and a half for under most circumstances before you can take any money out of an annuity without penalty, right? Without, without penalties. Correct. Okay. So the variable annuities are tax deferred boxes of mutual funds. Okay. Uh, And yep, you can gain, okay. uh, Income. I mean, growth tax deferred. Okay. Uh, So, so, but you really, really, really have to kiss this money goodbye till you're 59 and a half at the very least to make it work. And when it comes to a tax deferred investment, the longer you have for the deferral, the better. If you're 60 years old and you buy a tax deferred investment, you don't get as much benefit from it as if you're 40. Okay, because you have the compounding and the time over a period of time. Okay, Uh, so, so the deferral is nice, but remember it's taxed as income on all you earn first, okay? The the, uh, the thing about variable annuities, we'll get to fixed annuities here in a moment, okay, is that most variable annuities have some pretty significant built-in costs. They're called, um, um, what, what's the word I'm looking for? Mortality expense charges, mm-hmm. okay? Okay, and, and I'll, I'll th- there's a range of them, but I, I'm gonna guess somewhere between one and a quarter and 2%. Okay, uh, is the built-in cost of owning an awful lot of variable annuities out there. Okay, uh, and with interest rates so low, that poses a problem when you start thinking about putting bonds inside of an annuity. Okay, if, if government bonds these days are paying one and a half or 2%, and, and the built-in cost to own the annuity is one and a half or 2%, well then, what what sense does it make to put bonds inside of a variable annuity or cash, by the way, for that matter? Okay, so one of the disadvantages of variable annuities are the costs. And what that says to me today, Justin, is that if people are gonna put money in a variable annuity, it better be mostly stocks, okay? And not much of the bonds to really get any advantage out of it. If you put all bonds in your variable annuity, you're probably not gonna earn very much based on the built-in costs. So because of where we are, you know, people buy variable annuities because they have some guarantees built into them, which we could argue about very shortly anyway. But the bottom line is it doesn't make sense to put a lot of bonds in variable annuities and the people who would own them are pretty conservative. So I think there's kind of a, a conflict there. Would you agree or what's your thought about that? Yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah, right. So any anytime you're, I mean, you could make the same argument, any any low yielding investment, you, you mean you, you need to make extra sure that you're, uh, that you're paying attention to what your costs are because you're just don't, you're not gonna get much bang for your buck. So I, I actually wanted to circle back. You, you made a comment that annuities are generally more appropriate for people in higher tax brackets. That's, you know, that's just because of the way the tax system works, right? I mean, if you're in the lower tax brackets and you, and you buy yourself a tax efficient portfolio, you may be paying mostly capital gains. And you know, in, in a lot of cases, those capital gains may be free, right? So if you're in the 12% bracket or below, you don't pay capital gains tax. And so you're, you could essentially have a nearly free investment portfolio, a, a portfolio free of taxes that's taxable and accessible, in which case you probably don't want to go buy an annuity. So I just wanted to clear that up. You, you threw that out there and I just wanted to make sure that we knew the reason why, uh, but uh, why you might be interested if you're a higher, um, if you're a 
you know, higher income yeah. folks in a higher that, tax. That was one of my grand summary statements. Justin. Okay. Boy, Sorry. To rob my thunder from you here, but okay. <laughs> anyway, but point, point well taken. So variable annuity folks, kind of bunch of funds, mutual funds inside of a tax deferred box. Okay. Doesn't make a lot of sense to fund them with bonds. That doesn't work for most people who yeah. are conservative. That's just kind of where it is. Okay. Um, you know, and your bracket now and later, sure. Okay. Um, but by the way, and I, I don't think this statistic has changed very much. Okay. It, you know, the, the, the advantage to doing a variable annuity is the younger you do it, the longer you do it, the more the deferral you take advantage of it in the terms of the times of compounding. Okay. Uh, and, and, and that's a wonderful thing, but you have to leave that money alone for a long time. They're, they're pretty illiquid. They have penalties to get out. Most of them. Okay. Uh, there are tax consequences before 59 and a half and penalties and there are tax consequences after 59 and a half, but no penalties. And so, yep. so th there's just a lot of moving pieces to them and, and, and yeah, they, they make sense for some folks, but in my opinion, not most folks listening to this. Okay. Yeah. The, 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 the very end comment, which we'll get to shortly is that for an awful lot of people, you're better off paying lower capital gains and interest taxes a little bit at a time along the way than to pay income tax is later on what you're earning an annuity with that, that horse race, you know, that horse race uh, has gotten an awful lot closer and advantage, I think, goes to tax efficient portfolios for many people, given those circumstances. Anyway, yeah. I, well, I think I think, yeah, I think now, you know, in, in today's climate, I think annuities are sold more, you know, I mean, there's probably a reason why most annuities now or, you know, what, that's a that's I'm throwing that out there. I don't know that for, for a fact, but just this is anecdotal from people that we see a lot of annuities are sold now more for the guarantees than they are for the tax deferral, right? The, yep. the, you know, 20 years ago when rates were higher, actually, you know what, is it more than 20 years ago now? Um, I, I'm getting old. Yeah. <laughs> I have to refer back to the nineties. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah. So a long time ago when tax rates were higher, it was a bit, you know, the, the, the sales pitch on a variable annuity was, well, you're going to beat, you know, your 39% uh, taxes on this baby. Now that, now that rates are lower and capital gains rates are even lower than that. Um, you don't see as much sale sell for the tax deferral uh, because so few taxpayers actually can make that work. Uh, but you see a lot of you know you see a lot of annuity sales based on the guarantees that are uh, that, that are associated with a lot of annuities right now. And as long as you That's brought a that up, yeah. Well, the, the the short story is, folks, you pay. Oh, you put money in here and you'll never lose your capital. Yeah, but there's a cost for that. Or you put money in here and we'll guarantee to give you a certain amount of money. And yeah, there's a cost for that. Okay. Uh, I know. I, it's, it's a tax show. It's the tax show. You know. You're, I, you're I understand. But but we have to. You know, we can't. People yeah. have to understand the other implication, but the, the bottom line is that that you pay dearly for those guarantees. And by the way, it takes away from your return. You know, a, a, a loaded up variable annuity could well cost two, two and a half percent a year with all the bells and whistles on it. Well, if you're going to subtract two and a half percent from your return, what's that look like? Uh, anyway, anyway, moving along. Okay. So when does it make sense to invest in an annuity if you can leave the money alone for a long time? I think something like three quarters of all the money that's in variable annuities, Justin, never gets touched. I think that was like a statistic I saw. By the investor? Yeah. I, I'll bet you that hasn't changed much. If you yep. think about the people that we work with, we don't have a lot of people tapping their annuities for income in retirement. Nope. Think about it. No, no okay. we don't. Yeah. So, so it's a great place to put money you absolutely never need for a long time. Well, how many people, you know, can be comfortable doing that versus whatever happens in their lives sort of a thing. So yep. you got to think about that. Okay. Uh, and then, all right. So those are variable annuities. Okay. So the fixed annuities. Okay. That's also popular with, uh, with us older folks crowds because they're guaranteed. Okay. Uh, so a fixed annuity, an insurance company will say, Hey, we'll, you know, we'll pay you X percent a year if you put your money in here for the next five years. And then after that, we'll talk again about what the rate's going to be. Okay. So they're, they're like tax deferred CDs from a bank. They're insured by an insurance company, probably not as good as the FDIC, but probably pretty darn good. Okay. Uh, and they're taxed. Okay. At income levels when you take it out. So I, I, I did a little check-in. Okay. Uh, cur courtesy of the annuity guys. I didn't know that was a website. The annuity guys. The annuity guys. Okay. So a, the, the, a good, 
a three-year rate on a fixed annuity is 2.45% per year. Not bad. By the way, that's that's higher than a three-year CD. By, I think by a long shot. By yeah, a, by I, a long I, shot. I haven't checked in the last yeah. couple of weeks, though. I know rates. Yeah, by a long shot. Okay, a five-year rate, this is across the country, 3.1%. That's probably from Kentucky Fried Chicken Life Insurance Company. I'm not sure. But anyway, and then the 10-year rates are three and the 20-year rates are three. So, so you know, the, the rates are higher than CDs, okay? Uh, but, you know, in an annuity, you've got to understand, folks, an annuity is a box you put your money in. There are penalties to leave that box for a certain period of time, okay? Uh, and then there are tax consequences whenever you take it out of there. So you just have to be careful. Okay. Uh, there, there are no costs. The, the price is built in. The, all the, you know, the, the, what you get paid is net. Okay. Uh, and, and, you know, so the question is, so what kind of money goes into uh, an annuity, a fixed annuity? Well, I guess it's somebody who's very conservative. Okay. You know, right now, if you're going to do one for three years at 245, that's a pretty good return versus a CD if you take the money out of there, sort of a thing. So I, I don't have a, a problem for folks, okay, for some folks doing that because they're comfortable. But the tax deferral is you, if you're going to buy a three year CD and defer the income, at how much of a deal is that for three years? Do you know what I mean, Jess? So you just kind of, kind of, and by the way, um, for the most part, it's still sub one, I think. Yeah. I mean, you might be able to get a percent in a three year CD. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, no, it's yeah, not so, a lot of, yeah, we, not, we're not talking about a lot of money. Yeah. We're, we're not. Okay. And, and, and with those spreads, you know, if you had a five year or 3.1 and locked it up and spend all the money five years later from now, yeah. But they're illiquid. Okay. By the way, once you get into the annuity, you have to stay there for a certain period of time before you can leave anyway. So there are penalties and time frames associated yep. with them. But, you know, given where some of these rates are, if somebody says, I don't need this money for five years and I need some income, well, yeah, I'm okay with that. I kind of given the circumstances. Okay. Yep. Uh, you know, the, the, um, I'm open-minded of you. Well, I, I, I they, there are some places for some folks given the circumstances. Okay. All right. I, I, couldn't leave uh, the annuity world Boy. without talking about annuitization. Okay. And there are some tax advantages to annuitization. That's yep. what the insurance companies would tell you, right? So yep. I have to be, you know, I have to be equal opportunity ad and financial advisor here. And so here we go. Okay. So by the way, this is from immediateannuities.com. This is about a week ago, folks, but hey, you know, they change all the time. So, okay. Annuitization. Alrighty. Okay. Here's Mike McNamara's definition of annuitization. You give a chunk of money to an insurance company. They take it. It's gone. They promise to give you back a certain amount of income for a certain amount of time. Done. That's it. Okay. okay. You're trading so, in. A, you're trading in a lump sum for an income stream. Yep. You absolutely are. Okay. So here's here's the current world. Male 60, Massachusetts, by the way, male 65, female 65. This couple does a $100,000 immediate annuity. Here you go, life insurance company. Here's my $100,000. The life insurance company says, hey, here's what we're going to do. We're going to pay you to $403 per month for as long as ye both shall live. Okay. Yep. Holy, holy moly, guaranteed no risk income for the rest of my life. Okay. Uh, by the way, if both of those folks go down on a plane, boat, a train three years from now, okay, the insurance company probably has a celebration because they didn't have to pay the rest of the money. There are some ways you can do that with beneficiaries, but the bottom yep. line is if you live to, think it out, folks, if you live to 110, that was probably a good deal. Okay, if you live to, you know, from 65 to 75, it probably wasn't so good. And this is called a, a, a lifetime income joint joint and survivor. And the, the bottom line is that, you know, the insurance company is you're, you're playing, you know, here's the money. It's life insurance. It's not an investment. By the way, if I take by the way, uh, if I take the $403, okay, if, if you look at a male and a female age 65, according to the IRS table, the longest live of those two will be the female on average at 20.7 years. Okay? Yep. $403 times 12 
months times 20.7 years. If, if the insurance company calls it perfectly and the female dies exactly 20.7 years, they paid you $100,105 back on your 100,000 over that 20 year period of time. That's, that's just how it is. Folks, yep. this, it's not an investment. You can't look at that way. It's an insurance. If you live longer than that 20.7 years, you start to, well, you start to get the benefit of that. And if you live shorter than that, you don't. Insurance is a pooled risk product. Some people win, some people lose. That's how it is. Okay. From uh, And the, the other uh, kind of I think this is deceptive, okay, but okay, some insurance companies will say, let's see, the $403 times 12 is like $4,836 over the course of a year, okay? Well, wait a minute, I gave them $100,000, they give me back 4,836. That's a 4.8% income stream. But that income stream is partly return of your capital because you didn't make any right. money given the circumstances. Okay, until after uh, until after ten years in this case. And, and it, it, exactly. Okay, uh, or, or, or this same couple, they might say, "Look, um, here's a hundred thousand dollars." By the way, and, and so the tax advantage is, okay, if if you put in a hundred, and they passed you back a hundred and five. For all practical purposes, they're just sending your your capital back mostly right. for all that period of time. There there aren't any tax consequences to this. Well, there weren't any tax consequences if you put it under the mattress and took four hundred and three dollars a month too. Well, we should we should give we should give a because it's a tax show. Let me just give a quick you know there so there are potential tax benefits to annuitization and right in the current climate it doesn't really work with. Uh, uh, you know, handing an insurance company a check. But if you, you know, if you, if like we do, right, if we have a client who uh, has a million dollars in an annuity because they invested 500,000 uh, over the course of a bunch of years, if you annuitize that chunk over 10 years, the way they give it back to you is, you know, it's about half of your income, you know, about half of every payment is return of capital and about half is, uh, about half his income. And so, you know, essentially you're, you're paying the taxes over the course of, let's say a 10 year annuitization, right? Yeah. So in that case, you know, let's just, let's just pretend there's no income on this, you know, there's, there's no interest rate. You, you hand the insurance company a million dollars with a cost basis of 500, you get back a hundred thousand dollars a year and only 50,000 is taxable, right? Yeah. If you just took that money back out of the annuity, you just took a distribution instead of annuitizing, you would pay you'd pay all the income from the first five years. Like the first five years of distributions would be fully taxable, right? So you'd have income of a hundred for the first five years, and then you'd have no income for the next five. And that, you know, that can have an impact on your tax bracket, right? I mean, that could, that, you know, if, if your income is 50 versus a hundred in those first five years, that could, you know, that could be the difference between the 12% bracket and the 22 or, or, you know, the 22 and the 24, or the 24 and the 32, right? So there are income, you know, tax advantages potentially to it. Although, you know, for the most part, they're not, with interest rates where they are now, it's not all that meaningful. But if you had started a while ago uh, and you had an annuity balance, it's it's potentially more substantial. Yeah, I understand. By the way, with that same couple, okay, if they did the 10 years, okay, that this yep. couple says, hey, here's my $100,000. I need income for the next 10 years. And when it's over, it's over. So the math is, okay, uh, it's called a 10-year period certain annuitization folks okay and the insurance company says here's 884 dollars a month okay well times 12 months times 10 years they passed you back 106,080 dollars from your 100,000 okay again this is not an investment folks in an it's an insurance policy but by the way if you earn 6,080 dollars in the 10 years okay that's 600 that, that's like a six tenths of a percent return on that money well by the way the money that they're passing back to you the vast majority of it is your capital after you earn that supposed six 
tenths of a percent return. Well, I, you know, I, I don't have a problem with somebody, you know, I don't have a problem with somebody doing a five-year deferred annuity at three and a half percent and then doing a 10-year annuitization after that, okay, and, and getting the, those dollars going forward as part of an income stream and a retirement plan sort of a thing. So an, annuitization, I, I honestly, I think most folks are better off not taking, uh, not not passing off the risk to an insurance, an insurance company, but some people are comfortable doing that, and I'm okay with that, given the circumstances. But, but there, you know, if you think stocks and bonds are difficult to understand, folks, understanding annuities, whether they're variable or fixed, and annuitization, uh, you know, sometimes we have to sit down for a, a, a long time and read some of the fine print and some of the contracts and things we see, Justin. Uh, would you agree it's not a simple bu a business to understand an annuity? Holy cow. Sure isn't. Oh. You know, you, we only have five minutes left here and you have not got to tax and uh, tax efficient investment portfolio. That's okay. allocation. All right. All right. So <laughs> so here's let's 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 I'll make the general statement and you can embellish it. OK, so so because I think interest rates are low. Okay, it's not a good time to own fixed annuities. And because most variable annuities have high costs and it doesn't make sense to put a lot of bonds in them. Okay, uh, if you have a choice between doing an annuity of some kind with a guarantee yeah. versus your own portfolio of taxable investments managed tax efficiently. I'm sorry. I think the taxable portfolio gets the nod from an investment point of view. If you look at the annuities as insurance, then, then that's okay. Okay. Uh, our point is most people can provide their own insurance, but that's a, that's a whole other discussion. Okay. So, you know, when tax brackets were higher, Justin, and and when interest rates were higher, okay, the, the race between how's an annuity going to do compounding and deferred versus a portfolio where I pay taxes on as I go, that was a horse race. But because tax brackets have come down and because interest rates are like bupkis these days, okay, I, I'm sorry, folks, uh, we think that you're significantly better off, okay, with your money that's after taxes that doesn't go into retirement plans going into a taxable, pardon me for saying the word taxable portfolio that's lightly taxed at 15% for dividends, maybe some tax-free interest and capital gains rates, okay, paying a little bit of taxes at lower than income rates now versus paying a bunch of taxes later. Uh, I'm sorry, that's a real horse race. And we can demonstrate that on some financial planning software, given the circumstances. So don't be afraid to take your after-tax money that you're going to invest and stick it in a portfolio of, God forbid, taxable investments, because there are some pretty slick and sophisticated options out there these days for doing that. Justin, you got about a minute and a half to uh, to correct me on that. So go. No, for no, it. I think you know. I I, I think you know. There, there's there's so much that goes into this. I mean, we we've talked already about tax rates coming down. You know, from where they were, say, in the '90s. When I mean, we we you know, full disclosure, we have a bunch of annuities. Um, that we manage for clients and and most of them were sold uh, you know sold in air quotes by you back in the you know high tax bracket days yeah yep. yeah yep. and so so tax rates have come down we do fewer of them now because we think they're less appropriate for for people and then you know you add in the fact that we now have you know you can manage a, a, an investment portfolio very efficiently now right we have exchange traded funds which are more efficient than their mutual fund cousins were uh, you have folks who are you know who are investing in a lot of indexes versus actively managed funds which are more efficient uh, and then you you know you put that together and right you you know you may if you if we buy someone, uh, you know, an investment portfolio, it's probably going to have the S and P 500 index in there, and you know that may that's more than likely in there for the rest of their lives, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, that's a long-term holding and it's tax efficient, and so you you put all those all together. Right. Yep. We got to wrap it up. Oh, time to go, Cindy. Sorry about that. Uh, yep. I, okay, I think we did good, Justin. If folks, if you have any questions, just give Justin a holler there. All right. All right. Great to see you all. We'll talk to you next week.